Let me ask a question. How many of you in here, there is something that Jesus has done incredible in your life, whether he restored you, walked you out of addiction, something. How many of you guys have had something that God has helped walk you through? Let me ask you a second question. How many of you love your church family? You love destiny, right? I love my church. So here's why I'm putting those two things together, because next week is a great opportunity. It is the most attended Sunday of all year. Invite somebody to come out. If Jesus has done something in your life, if you love your church, then invite them to come experience your church and experience the love of Jesus Christ in an incredible way next week. We've got some different tools to help you with that. You'll get an email later today with some things that you can post on social media if you'd like, or you can go to our Facebook or Instagram. We have those as, there as well. You can pull those down and have those ready. Also, there's an invite in the seats that looks a lot like this with a whole bunch of little eggs, hence Easter. Okay? So you can take that, give that to somebody. If you want to put something in their hand to invite them next week, it'll be great. We'll come out at what time? To 10 o'clock. That's good. You'll all be here. Okay. Awesome. I got commitments all over the room. So... From there, I'm ready to preach. You guys ready for me to stop giving announcements? Yeah, I am too. So, here's the thing. I'm excited to speak this morning. Our lead pastor, Pastor Lawrence, is down here on the front. He's with us. Um, he's not sick. He's not out. He's just here, and he's allowed me to have the platform this morning, so I'm excited about that. Excited to get to preach to you guys uh, on Lamentations. And you guys are like, yes, Lamentations. I'm excited. It's like, yeah. Okay, um, I'm just... Let me start it off with this. Lamentations is like one of the three most depressing books in the entire Bible. So uh, it's awesome, but it really is great. There's some really good stuff from it. We're going to talk about that this morning. But let's jump right in. Just to give you a little bit of background on Lamentations when we're talking about it, uh, we don't know exactly who the author was. It's believed that the author was probably the prophet Jeremiah, who's also known as the weeping prophet. Okay, so that fits. Lamentations, weeping prophet. All right. So he probably is the one who wrote this, but there's something really important, because when you look at the name in the original language, it can actually be translated to alas or how. Anybody ever had something go horribly, horribly, horribly wrong, and you're just like, how, 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 how did that even happen, okay? Um, I've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old. I often walk into the room and think, how, how did your pants get on the ceiling fan? I don't know. Um, that happened. That's a real story. Anyway, that's for another time. But things like that happen. It's like, I, I don't even know. Like, I, I can't explain how this got in such a horrible mess. Anybody ever walked through something where, I mean, the real question is, God, how did I mess this up this bad? Right? How did this ever go this wrong? And Lamentations is a great example of that as we get started. Lamentations 1, verses 1 through 2. How desolate lies the city, once was so full of people, how like a widow is she, who was once great among the nations, she who was queen among the provinces, has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks. How many guys, you're encouraged this morning, right? You ready to go home and do this. Uh, here's the thing, as you begin to read through Lamentations, it is this devastating depiction as as, uh, the prophet Jeremiah is walking through. He's seeing all of these things of Jerusalem that happened, this city that's in complete destruction because of the Babylonian invasion that came in and just destroyed the city. It destroyed the people. The people are broken. They're crushed. Everything around it is desolate. 
And that's where the heart of what this story is being written about. Now, let's immediately start to just kind of apply this to us. Anybody, you know, I mentioned earlier, we just had things go horribly wrong, but I read this, and I think it's really interesting, and I love the fact that the Bible isn't just full of exciting, fun stories, okay, because it's not an adventure action book. It's a book for real life. It's a book that you can carry through every area and everything that you're going to walk through. So guess what? There are times that you are going to walk through what feels like utter devastation in your life. There's going to be situations that you face that it looks like there is no way you can overcome. There are going to be things that you walk through that look bigger than you. They look stronger than you. And the only hope that you have is the saving grace of Jesus Christ to come in and help you in the middle of your situation. What I feel like has become one of probably the biggest issues that we face in the church today is that we begin to take credit for all of our success and begin to blame God for our failures. I believe that's something that we have become very, very good at. When a ministry does well, when my personal finances do well, when I do well uh, at my job, when I do well ministering to somebody, when I do well in any area of my life, it's because God just made me that good, right? It's not exactly the way that works. But we often take the credit for it. We often begin to think that, you know, we've really done something and accomplished something, and the truth of it is it's not about us. It's about him. He's the one who gifted us with every ability that we have. He's the one who has gone before you and opened doors and given opportunities, given you entrance into every single one of those places. But often when we have success, we think how great we are. And then when things fall apart, well, God, where is your mercy? Where is your grace? God, I've done all this wrong. I've, I go to church on Sunday. How come this is going wrong? Right? It's not about do you go to church on Sunday. See, the thing about Lamentations is as you begin to look, this is the entire depiction of when Israel began to disobey God. They begin to walk out of what it is that God had instructed them to do and talk them through. God is constantly speaking. Do you realize that? Do you realize that God is constantly speaking to us and he's trying to give you direction? And the moment we step outside of that direction, we really become helpless in what to do in life. We can try to lay out all that we want. We can try to work it out on our own. But how many of you realize life's a lot bigger than we are? Right? And if you're taking notes, this is your first blank. The absence of God's counsel produces the abundance of problems. The moment we quit listening to the voice of God in our life is the moment we begin to really mess stuff up. Anybody ever try to fix something and you just, you messed it up? You should have just read the directions, right? Okay. I'm getting the look from my wife over here. I'm, I'm, I don't like directions. I can do pictures, but I don't like directions. Uh, this may go back to a kindergarten issue. I'm not entirely sure. But we were putting a crib together uh, when our oldest boy was born. Uh, I was in there, and I was putting the crib together, and I'm looking like, I've got this. And I get probably 90% built, and I realize I got the front and the back on backwards. And this wasn't quite going to work, so I had to disassemble the whole thing because I didn't want to follow the directions. Guys, directions are important because I think we miss this a lot. We think directions are there to limit you. We feel like the guidelines that God put in the Bible are there to limit you. They're not. They're there to help you. Because when you stay inside those guidelines, you're able to function safely 
and happily. Do you follow me? I could have finished putting the crib together in the wrong situation, but it probably wouldn't have been the safest thing for them to, be, then to put my baby in, right? We can develop a lot of things and put a lot of things together, but the best scenario is when we follow the directions that God is speaking, when we follow what it is that God is trying to do. And we begin to see all of the destruction that came about because of the disobedience to God. And this wasn't a, and hear me, this wasn't a, you didn't do what I said, so let me smite you type of a situation, okay? This is, you stepped outside of the obedience of God. You quit following my direction. You stopped listening to my guidance. And the result was utter devastation. Do you follow me? There's two different perspectives there. And I think as Christians, we've got to be very careful. God is not a judgmental God who's sitting there waiting for you to mess up so he can smack you around. Do you follow me? He's sitting there trying to guard you and trying to protect you and trying to keep you inside his arms. And we're more like a little kid who's trying to climb over and jump out and see how far past those boundaries we can get. And the problem is when you jump out of his arms, you're going to fall. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not his fault that we fell. It's our fault we were no longer obedient and stay inside the parameters that he was trying to give us to protect us and help us. There's something about listening to the voice of God and seeing the things that he's speaking in the middle of our situation. Because how many of you realize sometimes your situation can look bad? Earlier this week, we went during spring break. We took the beginning of spring break, and we went and visited Mount Scott, me and my family and some friends. And we were climbing around Mount Scott, and the thing that hit me as we began to drive up, we saw the beauty of this huge mountain and all of the mountains there. Anybody like the Wichita Mountains? I know we got like a bunch of people that were there this last week I've discovered as we started talking about this. We got people hiking out there, all kinds of things. But here's the thing. You begin to drive up and you see mountains. Then when you get on the mountain, you see this breathtaking view where you can see for miles, where you can see rivers and lakes and the incredible beauty of what God has created and designed. But then something interesting happened. We begin to climb around on the mountain, and we discovered these big, huge, really hard things that hurt if you fell on them or they poked you. They're called rocks and boulders. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I looked at a couple, and we got in this one spot where I'm looking at this boulder that's, I mean, it's ginormous. I can't see over it. I can't see around it. There's no way I'm going to push it. It's too steep for me to climb. It's too big for me. My only option is to find another way. Let me pause for a second. How many of you ever feel like you've got situations in your life that you're looking at? They're bigger than you, they're stronger than you, and there's no way you can see around it. See, and here's what God began to speak to me. There are things in your life that when you look at your problem, you see just how big your problem is. But if you take a step back from your problem, you realize that that problem is only positioned within the scope of the mountain. Do you follow me? And God began to speak that God is our mountain, okay? And he started just talking to me. It was a really cool picture for me personally. I like pictures. So here's the thing. God began to speak. There's this mountain that's so beautiful, and there's such a view, and there's so many incredible things. But if I begin to focus on the boulders that block my path, I begin to miss the beauty of the mountain. Do you follow me? 
There are things you're going to walk through in life that are bigger than you, they're stronger than you. That doesn't mean you abandon the mountain. It means you take your eye off the boulder and the scope of the mountain and you find a way around it. You find a way over it because God is bigger than your problem. He is bigger than your situation. The problem is often when we find these faults, we begin to wallow in them. We begin to stay there and think, oh, all hope is lost. It's too big for me. It's too strong for me. There's no way I can make it around it. That doctor's report is too bad. I lost my job. There's just, I've, I've put out applications. There's just no other jobs out there. Well, my marriage, it's just too far gone. Well, my kids, they just don't listen. I just can't get them to come back. I've been praying for them for you don't know how long, and I've never seen anything happen. Stop rehearsing your boulders and start looking at your mountain. Because you don't abandon your mountain because there's a boulder in your way. Because it doesn't matter what mountain you climb, there are going to be boulders on every mountain that you face. But if you step back from your boulder and you begin to look at your mountain, you find a way around. You find a way over. Because you are called to go to higher heights than where that boulder is going to stop you from going. And I'm here to tell you this morning, this may be one of the most depressing books when you begin to read it, but it is one of the most hope-filled books when you actually begin to look at the context. Because I want you to catch something. We all walk through hopeless times. This is your second blank. But God is our hope when things seem hopeless. Because it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you look at. He is bigger than all of those things. I love the fact, that it used to bother me that I can't like see God and walk and talk with God and like pick up the phone and call God. That used to really bother me. And then all of a sudden, God gave me this incredible revelation that really changed the way I thought of it because it wasn't about if I could call God or talk to God. He was big enough that he was always there. And here's the thing, if my God was small enough that I could see him, then I would try to limit him to what I could see. But I serve a God that's not only bigger than me, but he's bigger than my problem. He's bigger than my situation. And he's already paid the price for anything that I'm going to face, anything that I'm going to walk through. He's already conquered it. He's overcome it. I may be in the middle of it, but he never left me. He's going to help me overcome. He's going to help me get there. He's not sitting back observing. He's right there in the middle of your situation with you. Speaking of that, here's probably my favorite part of this entire chapter. See, this chapter is broken down into five books. I'm sorry, this book is broken down into five chapters. That makes a lot more sense. But right in the middle, chapter three, there's something really interesting. Chapter three, verse 21 through 23. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin new every morning. Anybody need that verse in the middle of your dark time? Anybody need that verse in the middle of something that feels hopeless? I grew up hearing that verse, God's mercies are new every morning, and I heard that all of the time. I never realized the context of that verse was centered in a book of utter desperation. Guys, it's not... The Bible is not a book filled with great little quotes to help you get through your day. It's literally a book that we can pull for every area of our life. 
when things are horrible, when things are great. There's a book for it, okay? And I'm not talking about at Barnes & Noble. I'm talking about within the Bible, the Scripture that God laid out, that we can look at every situation we're walking through, every problem that we face, and he's got an answer to help us overcome what it is that we face and our obstacles that are in front of us. And I love, love the beginning of this. Verse 21, I want, to, I want you to catch this again. Yet I still dare to hope. In the middle of your hopelessness, dare to hope. In the middle of your situation, dare to hope. When you don't know what you're going to do for a job, dare to hope. When you don't know what your marriage is going to do, dare to hope. When you don't know how your finances are going to work out, dare to hope. When you don't know if that child is ever going to come to know Jesus again, dare to hope. Why? Because he is our hope in our hopelessness. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. He never left you, and your darkest moment is right before your biggest breakthrough. Did you hear me? Your darkest moment is right before your biggest breakthrough. That's the beauty of this verse, because his, his mercies are new every what? Morning. What happens in the morning? Light breaks through. What happens in the middle of the night? It's the darkest it's going to be. So in the middle of the darkest moment of your life where you don't see where there's any hope, there's breakthrough coming. Hold on, there's breakthrough coming. If you dare to hope, there's breakthrough coming. Do you hear me this morning? There is breakthrough coming for your situation. Whatever it is you face, whatever it is you walk through, there is hope coming in the middle of your situation. I love it because it reminds me of another story. And there's something about this story that just, it gets me every time. If you want to jump with me, we're going to jump to Acts chapter 27, verse 33 through 39. And this is when Paul gets shipwrecked on the island of Malta. In verse 33, just before dawn, Paul urged them to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. Anybody ever had something that you were facing in life and you just, you couldn't eat, you couldn't sleep, it just bothered you in every way, everything you walked through. You couldn't think about anything else. That's the situation they were in. 14 days, they were lost at sea. 14 days, they were in suspense and gone without food. Verse 34, now I urge you, take some food. You need to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After he said this, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and he began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Pause. See, there, there's a couple unique things about the story that I want you to get. Because in the middle of their darkest hour, when they had been lost at sea, Paul does something very interesting. He begins to speak the word of the Lord, that there is hope in their hopelessness. He walks up and he says this, eat, because you need to eat to survive. You've been in suspense, but God's got this. Not a single one of you, not a single hair on your head is going to be harmed. Not one of you is going to be lost. Eat. And he took the food and he gave thanks and it encouraged the others. Hear me. 
It doesn't matter the situation you're facing. If you are willing to begin to give thanks to God for what you have in the middle of what you feel like you lack, there is something about the empowering spirit of God that will come upon you that will begin to encourage others around you. And it releases something about the atmosphere of your life. And as he thanked God and he began to eat, they were encouraged and they began to eat. Here's the best part. Once they ate till they were full, they lightened the load. Anybody remember how it says they lightened the load? They threw it overboard. See, here's what I want you to catch. When God begins to do something in your life, when you get to that point where you feel like it's utter desperation and you can't handle it anymore, guess what? You can't. That's why the Bible says he is strongest in our weakness. It's not about what you're capable of. And that's the thing I love about this story. Once they got to the point where it's like, okay, God, we're all in. We're going to eat till we're full, and we're going to trust you for the rest because we're throwing all the food overboard. What it, they really just said is, God, I'm going to believe you for where you're taking us because you're going to provide or we're going to die. It doesn't say that word for word, but let me tell you, when you're stranded in the ocean for 14 days and you just threw your food overboard, you just said you're going to do something or we're all going to die. Basic math here, people. You don't eat, you die. So what happens? They throw it overboard and they begin to believe God. Let's pick up verse 39. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay on a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground. They were lost for 14 days, and it wasn't until their darkest hour where they felt like there was no hope. Well, they abandoned every strength that they had on their own and said, God, we're going to trust you. We're going to believe for you, and we're going to trust that you have this under control. And the next morning, breakthrough happened. It's a lot like another verse. Let's see, how did that verse go? Lamentations 3, 23. God is faithfulness. His mercies begin new every what? Morning. Every morning. Every day. The thing is, we've got to stop blaming God when everything goes wrong and thinking we do everything right when it goes well and realizing that God is in control whether things are going great, whether things are going horrible. He's still in control. He's still right there. He never left you along the way. He never forgot about you. He's walked with you every single moment. And we don't need God to show up when things are bad. We need God to show up when things are good. Do you follow me? If your prayer life has the same cycle as the pain you walk through, there's a problem. And let me help you if, you if that confused some of you. Here's what I mean. If you only pray when there's a problem, there's a problem. You follow me? We can't just sit back and only cry out to God when we need him to show up in our situation. Because we don't need him to show up when things are bad. We need him to show up every day. We need him to tell us where to go. But you don't understand. I've been looking for a job. I've been looking. Have you asked God where to apply? Well, no, he's not. He's interested in that. I promise. Well, my marriage, you just don't understand. Have you asked God what you can do to help it? Well, we're going to counsel. But have you asked God? Well, I just don't know if he's, he's interested. He cares. 
We've got to begin to listen and become obedient to what it is that God's speaking and stop just trying to use him as our good luck charm to get us out of trouble. He's trying to take you somewhere. The question is, are we listening? Are we going with him? Are we doing our own thing on our own strength because we think we're more capable? And we would never say that. But listen to me. If you are living your life in your own strength without the counsel of God, you are saying, I am more capable because you're living on what you're capable of, not what he's capable of. But God is constantly speaking. Who is it that he's brought into your life to speak into? Who is it that he's brought into your life that you need what they have for you? Because he never called you to do this alone. You realize that. Jesus showed up. What was the first thing he did? He picked 12 people to go with him. What was the last thing he did? He told those 12, go get more. There's something about the community of God that is not only the first thing Jesus did, but it was the last. I think that's probably important. Who's he called you to be connected to? What is it that he's called you to do? Because I'm telling you, in the middle of your situation where you feel like there is no hope, there is hope. There is help in whatever you're walking through. There is help. He is our hope in our hopeless time. Last blank. God is not a distant God. He's a present God. Here's what you need to understand this morning. If you don't catch anything else that I've said, please catch this. He's never left you. He never forgot about you. You are never in too deep. You have never done too much wrong for the grace and the love of Jesus to reach in and pull you out and to help you go where he's called you to go. You have never gone too far. And I didn't share this first service, but I'm going to share it this service. And here's the thing that I feel like is such a huge part. And I think it's so fitting that next week we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Because see, here's the thing. When Jesus died on the cross, there's this cool thing in Jewish culture about a covenant. Do you, anybody know what a covenant is? When you make a covenant with somebody, it was not breakable until death. Covenant held you. It held on. It was something, if I made a covenant with somebody, we were in covenant for the rest of our life. Jesus was beaten, just like Derek said earlier, beyond recognition. He suffered in so much agony and so much pain so that we could be forgiven, so that we can have relationship with God. But he didn't just do that to cover up your sin. He did that to become your sin so that you can become the righteousness of God in Christ. And see, here's the amazing thing. Are you ready? Whatever it is you're walking through, it's not too much. It's not too big. Because when Jesus rose, he came to the disciples, and there was this one dude named Thomas. Anybody remember him? What'd he do? He doubted. What did Jesus tell him to do? Touch my what? Scars. And he held out his hands. See, here's the thing. When Jesus showed back up, he didn't show up beaten, battered, and bruised. 
He showed up as Jesus, but the scars of the crucifixion remained. Catch this, because this is important. When you made a covenant in that day, you would cut your arm and you would leave a mark. You would leave a scar, and that scar represented the covenant that you had made. And the only thing that could break that covenant is death. Jesus showed back up after the crucifixion with the marks of the covenant that said, nothing can break my covenant except death. And guess what? He's already died, and he came back, so he's not going anywhere. So the only thing that's going to break the love and the grace of Jesus Christ in your life is the day you take your last breath. So he's never given up on you. He's never stopped. He loves you. He's right there with you. He never left you. He's the hope in your hopelessness. He's the grace for your situation. And what I want to ask right now, if you guys would bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this room and you say, you know, there's something that I'm facing. There is is a boulder in my path. There is something that is too big for me to go around. It is too big for me to go over. It is bigger than me and it is stronger than me. And I need the power of Jesus Christ in my life to overcome this situation. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I pray right now for every person whose hand is lifted that we would know that your grace is sufficient for us, God, that you would bring restoration to our life. Whatever issue we are walking through, whatever issue we are believing for, whatever it is that those hands are raised for, God, that you would begin to move supernaturally as they've engaged their faith, as they begin to stand up, as they stand up in the darkest hour and believe that their breakthrough is here. God, I pray right now that breakthrough in the name of Jesus over every person who raised their hand. God, that there, something would be unlocked in the supernatural and breakthrough is right around the corner. That your breakthrough is right there. Your moment is here. In Jesus' name, I just declare breakthrough over each and every one of them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I want to ask as the band's up here. See, there's something about our worship that isn't just singing songs. There's something about our worship that isn't just what we do to start a service. It's not what we do to end a service. There's something about your worship that is warfare. When you worship, it unleashes something in the supernatural realm that begins to fight on your behalf in whatever situation you face. So what I want to ask today is we're going to begin to worship. And we're all going to stand to our feet and we're going to begin to worship. And here's what I want to ask. As we worship, whatever your mountain is, whatever the boulder that's in front of you, I want you to begin to worship God for victory in that situation because your worship is warfare. Let me let you in on a secret. When you watch basketball, when you watch football and they score a touchdown, when they make a basket, You begin to celebrate, right? Your hands go up. You shout. You scream. You celebrate every basket because you celebrate every win. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you celebrated what it is, the win you're expecting God to do in your life? Let's worship him this morning, guys. Let's all jump to our feet. Let's begin to worship Jesus and celebrate the wins in our life this morning.